0: welcome to 30 minutes on 91.3 kxci tucson i'm amanda shager today on 30 minutes we bring to you excerpts from the 2016 tucson festival of books and portillo jr moderated this panel entitled growing up latino coast to coast and on the border bridging the continental intellectual and compartmental divide in america can be challenging at best for latinos and soul-numbing at worst. Award-winning author Luis Alberto Urrea, Sesame Street's beloved Sonia Manzano, Maria, and Chicano satirist Lalo Alcaraz of syndicated cartoon strip La Cucaracha Notoriety embrace and claim the creative energy culled from adversity.
1: Welcome, welcome to the eighth annual Tucson Festival of Books. My name is Ernesto Portillo, Jr., columnist with the Arizona Daily Star, and editor La Estrella Tucson, a Spanish-language publication. <laughs> Thanks to the Marshall Foundation for sponsoring this venue. We also thank Nancy Milburn and James Osman for sponsoring this session. I'd like now to introduce our panel. Here on, your far, on my far left, rather his far left, Lalo Alcaraz has been winning awards as yeah. quickly as La Cucaracha has been winning fans, a deluge of honors have been bestowed on the Mexican American artists, including four Southern Arizona Journalism Awards for best cartoon in weekly papers. Did I say Arizona? Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm so Southern. I'm so Arizona centric. Uh-huh. All right, Southern California. <laughs> All right, Southern California Journalism Awards, the Los Angeles Communications. And the Center for the Study of Political Graphics Art as a Hammer Award. Alcaraz's most, most recent book is A Most Imperfect Union, The Contrarian History of the United States. Mm. He is also illustrator of Latino USA, a cartoon history with Elon Stavans. He's also producer and writer on the Fox animated show Border Town and is a consultant on the upcoming 2017 Pixar film Coco. Our next panelist is Luis Alberto Urrea, the best-selling author of 16 books including The Devil's Highway, (laughs) The Hummingbird's Daughter, (laughs) Into the Beautiful North. He has most recently published a new book of poetry called The Tijuana Book of Dead, and a book of short stories, The Water Museum, which is a finalist for the Penn Faulkner Fiction Writing Award. Born in Tijuana, Urrea has focused much of his efforts on the people of the border regions. A finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, Urrea has won the Lannan Literary Award, the Pacific Kim Kiriyama Prize, an American Book Award, the Christopher Award, and an Edgar Award, among other honors. His novel, Into the Beautiful North, is a current selection of the National Endowment for the Arts Big Read program. His books have been selected by more than 45 different cities and colleges for community reads programs and he is much in demand as a speaker, lecturer, and teacher. His ties to his Tucson are strong. He wrote here, he fell in love here, though he currently lives in Chicago, where he is a distinguished professor of creative writing at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Welcome, Luis. Now, our rock star. Yeah. Sonia Manzano has affected the lives of millions since the early 1970s as the actress who defined the role of Maria on the acclaimed television series, Sesame Street. Sonia has won 15 Emmy Awards for her television writing and is a recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Academy of Arts and Sciences. Sonia's new book is a memoir, Becoming Maria, Love and Chaos in the South Bronx. Manzano is also the author of several picture books and her first novel, The Revolution of Evelyn Serrano. It was a 2012 Pura Belpre Honor Book and a Kirkus Review's best books of 2012. People Magazine has named Sonia one of the most influential Hispanics in the country, and she lives in New York City with her husband. Welcome to you three. discussion this morning about growing up, bilingual world, bicultural world, two worlds, East Coast, West Coast. I thought I'd start off with uh, Sonia. In her book, The Revolution of Evelyn Serrano, I think she puts it very succinctly and nails it in discussion about a name, her name. Her mother says, Rosa, do you? Evelyn, mommy. "'Remember?' I yelled, correcting her. "'Ever since my 14th birthday last month, "'I told everybody I wanted to be called Evelyn. "'My full name is Rosa Maria Evelyn del Carmen Serrano, "'but I shortened it. "'El Barrio, Spanish Harlem, USA, "'did not need another Rosa Maria or Carmen.'" (laughs) "'Even the name, Sonia, even... Growing up as this full-throated Latina, here you are struggling with the name. Right. How, how did you deal with that and other issues of your, of your being bicultural, Boricua, New Rican in New York City?
2: Well, I, I was raised at a time when uh, Puerto Ricans were, and Latin people in general, were very invisible to the media, and uh, we, we didn't really exist. Uh, There were no Latins on television or or in books, and uh, you you really sort of blend it in. The Revolution of Evelyn Serrano is about a girl coming of age and coming to grips with her culture when a political group called the Young Lords took over a church. They fashioned themselves after the Black Panthers, and um, all of a sudden... Latinos were taking a political stance. It was the first time I had seen it. Uh, it's a work of fiction. I was a little older than the girl in the book, but all of a sudden uh, I went from trying to slide in with Students for a Democratic Society or the Black Panthers to having a group that uh, I could join. I mean, I didn't join the Young Lords, but that I could uh, uh, affiliate myself with and um, and that was what uh, when Evelyn finally comes to grips with her with, with her culture and uh, you know she hates being Puerto Rican but once she she finds that these uh, young men have a platform these young men and women she she begins to accept her culture and uh, accept her name.
1: Growing up of course we 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 cross these two worlds I have an experience uh, being in Mexico and being called a gringo and which was very, very shocking for me. And I, and I, take, I make this note because in Luis's uh, autobiography, Nobody's Son, he wrote, the last time I was interviewed by the Mexican press, I was in Mexico City, the self-appointed home of all true Mexicans. I was startled to find out that I was not a true Mexican. I was any number of things. I was an American. I was just a Chicano. I was a Norteño, which in Mexico is like saying, you're one of the mongrel horde. (laughs) I was lauded for speaking Spanish just like a Mexican, or chided for having what amounted to a cowboy accent. I was born in Tijuana, didn't matter a bit. Tijuana, I was informed, is no man's land. Mexicans don't come from Tijuana. Tijuanans come from Tijuana when you come to this realization that you're neither here nor there, what are you growing up in San Diego, Tijuana?
3: A genius.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I
3: just felt that I ended up belonging to the, to the nation of story. I didn't know where to stand or to belong um, you know, we're all Bubba-looking to top it all off, you know, Irish-looking Mexicanos. And so everywhere I went, it was really confusing to me. And I came out of Tijuana, uh, settled in, in Logan Heights uh, in San Diego, Was sort of, in those days, was a little bit like maybe South Tucson. Um, and I had a really strong Tijuana accent. Uh, Spanish was my first language, you know. And my brother still talk like this, okay? And we we took Spanglish también, you know, so you know like a piece of cake. No es pastel, pero es un cakey. right? <laughs> and the the grannies make it cuter, so they're like un cakecito. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it was an it was a, a an area of a lot of ethnic strife between brown, black, and white, and any combination. And I I think I said this last time we talked, but I would come walking out of my little Catholic school, wanting to be a Jesuit priest, looking like a complete nerd and Irish with a strontiwana accent. (laughs) And I was like a one-man civil rights movement because (laughs) everyone there joined in brotherhood and said, let us kick his ass. (laughs) You know? So what happened was I would go home and cohabit with Rudyard Kipling or Mark Twain, and uh, Lalo will know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, being raised in Southern California in those days, there was no concept that anybody brown ever wrote a word or anybody who spoke Spanish wrote anything. Imagine my shock when I found that out. That was like a rebirth for me. And, and with so. Lalo
1: was Lalo one of those guys that wanted to kick your ass. <laughs> in, in, in no, hombre,
3: Lalo and me were both running down the street trying right. to get you
1: there. Uh. Lalo, you grew up in San Diego, and what was one of those seminal moments in, in your growing up of the realization of who you are? Uh,
4: Mexican-American, Chicano, San Diegan? Um, well, um, yeah, I grew up, I grew up at, uh, excuse my, my voice, uh, it's, uh, I threw it out last night. Um, with all the whiskey I drank. <laughs> At, oh, by the way, that bar, the shelter, it, it wasn't a bomb shelter. It's it's just a crappy bar. I mean, <laughs> it was it was a, I like crappy bars, but anyway, um, the uh, moment. Uh, well, it's funny. I mean, I grew up as a pissed off cholo in San Diego. For part of these reasons, for seeing how my par- my immigrant parents were mistreated. Yeah. Um. My my mom lived in Tijuana for ten years, and she she would come over undocumented, and and you know back then the border was like a guy in a booth. Yeah. Yeah. And, who would look the other way yeah. while you ran that way, and be- and we still you know have uh, undocumented immigrants here because the economy requires it. You know, so all all this uh, you know anti-immigrant xenophobia uh, because it's however uh, so uh, I grew up pissed off and uh, I but I didn't really know I was a Chicano um, until one day uh, I was in the Museo de Antropología in Mexico City because my mom would take me every summer we would go see our cousins that that lived in Mexico City uh, and so I would be there. We would be there for a month, six weeks during the summer. Watch. I would be watching Mexicans on TV, and I'm like, "What? What the hell is this? You know, this is like pretty cool." Uh, and then, um, and then we would go to the museums. And then I had this moment, um, and I'm putting it in a, a future graphic novel where I walked up to the Aztec calendar itself. Not, you know, I mean the actual one that they make all the souvenirs from. Uh, In (laughs) Mexico City and it's enormous and it's just I mean, I just like a lightning bolt hit me and I said oh my god It's so cool to be Mexican (laughs) As opposed to what they would tell you in San Diego that you're a piece of crap and you don't exist and you know, whatever so uh, I was about I don't know if I was 8 10 or 13. It's all a blur but uh, around 10 11 probably Mm -hmm.
2: You know, I, I just let me interject. This, you know, we find that we have to have labels to call ourselves, uh, Chicano, New Yorker, and before there was a term New Yorker, people would ask, "Who? What are you?" And you would go through this whole story. Well, my mother and father were born in Puerto Rico, and they came to the United States, but we're really U.S. citizens. So there was this whole thing, and I always felt a little ashamed that I couldn't say I'm from Puerto Rico. That I was like, uh. I was on a cultural tightrope. I wish I could have said. Well, I'm Puerto Rican from Puerto Rico, but I couldn't say that. I had never even been there. I I was 15 before I went to Puerto Rico. So in the 70s, when these uh, uh, young lords came up with the title, New Yorican, it was like, yay, one word. (laughs) No story, one word. So Sonia, how did
1: you play this into your role as Maria? Did you bring some of these... Uh, cultural conflicts, elements into...
2: Yes, unknowingly. They, ca- they cast me as Maria. They wanted to be a real real Puerto Rican, real Puerto Rican as Emilio Delgado, was to be a real Chicano when he came out to play my husband. But I would do things like I would say, hey, Big Bird, let's go have... Vamos a yeah. uh, Let's go to El Rufo. And then they would, somebody would say to me, you know, that's not really a Spanish word. And I'd say, <laughs> but it isn't? Just like El Queiki, yeah. you know. So all of a sudden, I'm thinking like, wait a minute. And I'm not, you know, but I use it. It's part of the culture. So the question was, well, if you want the real Puerto Rican culture, is it okay to say el keki you know, blah blah blah? Because you know, and then but then all the Mexican American kids are, or might not know what el rufo or el jacket or you know these kind of New York Spanglish terms. El Vix
4: Vaporub. <laughs> vaporub. <laughs>
2: So, so there's this, this, this balance that you have to sort of uh, maintain.
0: You are listening to a panel entitled Growing Up Latino Coast to Coast and on the Border from the 2016 Festival of Books on 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson.
1: Lalo, in your show, Border Town, uh, you're dealing with uh, caricatures. You're dealing with uh, people that you identify with or, or you knew. And some, and some people uh, say you're dealing with, with stereotypes, and I read or saw something the other day where you refuted that and said, "I'm not dealing with stereotypes. I'm dealing with real, real people that you knew, that you grew up with." Expound on that a bit.
4: Yeah, I, you know, I like to think of um, the characters as archetypes. I mean, like mm-hmm. my dad was a, a gardener, you know, and he worked at a plant nursery. He worked his ass off. Uh, he died when I was 13. But he, uh, you know, he, and he would he would come home and drink uh, a six to twelve pack of Coors beer every night. He had a, he had a problem, uh, but um, he would get up and go to work the next morning. You know, without menudo. You know, uh, even I know what that is. That's <laughs> that's Mexican medicine. If yes. you don't know, you guys are in Tucson. You know what the hell that is. Sorry, my voice is like this. But. Um, so, I mean, uh, in my comic strip in La Cucaracha, I, the most popular character I have is taco cart guy. You know, because who, A, who doesn't love tacos? And, and B, you know, uh, who, who can uh, appreciate a hardworking person, you know, that's there day after day and, you know, uh, whether you, you know, if you own a restaurant then he's parked in front of your restaurant, well, that's another topic. <laughs> But you know, uh, uh, immigrants are here to do work, and uh, I've never viewed immigrants, uh, you know, through the negative lens that uh, many Americans uh, have or are currently running for president on. And uh, so, I, I when I see when I draw a, a guy selling tacos, you know, I'm not putting him down. I, or or I'm, I, we, um, I, I'm not the show creator for Board of Town, but. Um, Believe me, you know the, the creator asked us the we we have, we have five Latino writers on the show for for Mexican American, um, and and you know we would go back and forth though, but like you know Ernesto, the main character, is a gardener, but he has a landscaping company. He's been in the U.S. twenty-something years. He's doing better than the idiot border patrolman neighbor Bud, uh, and Bud can't figure out why this guy is doing better than he is. You know his. Like Trump USA world is slipping away from him, uh, and that's the whole point of the show, you know. But you know, we have we have the we 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 um, traffic in stereotypes of everything because it is comedy, and you have and it is caric car- cartooning, it is caricature. You need a shorthand, you know, uh, and also I don't know if you remember in, in the, uh, and I'll end after this. The um, Back in the 80s, like when people would try to put Latinos on TV, they were always like they had to be a lawyer. You know? <laughs> and they always had to be a doctor. And I was like, oh, this is so boring. You know, this is not, you know, that's not what my family looks like, you know. And I, you know, I was living, you know, my dad was a gardener, my mom cleaned houses, and there's nothing wrong with it. You no, know, it, it,
1: this duality that, that, that you live in, that many of us live in, uh, now that you, you, you travel across the country, you travel to other countries, how is this playing into your not only your work but the reception that you're receiving from people? Do they see you as a Chicano, Mexican American, or some Irish kid?
3: <laughs> I start every talk in every country with "Buenas tardes, Tijuana" in the house, <laughs> and, and usually you do so f- because you're reaffirming. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I yeah, reaffirming where I come from, what I I represent in a lot of ways. But also, um, I wrote a piece about this in in, in a in Guernica magazine one time. But I said, you know, what's interesting is uh, a lot of times I'm at some banquet, some like last night's banquet, for example, where where you know people who fund the events are there, and my folks. Could be my cousins, aunts, and uncles are bussing the tables and washing the dishes and completely invisible. And I say, Tijuana in the house, and you see all the staff stop and turn around. <laughs> <laughs> so it's important to start in Spanish and to say Tijuana in the house, partially because, you know, fake street cred. Everybody's like, wow, Tijuana, oh, the dude's some, you know. But, uh, you know, you establish that and then you able to tell the story. And I've learned that no matter where I go, what group I talk to, and I've talked to some pretty hairy groups at this point, Mm -hmm. um, people listen and they're curious. And sometimes they're angry and dangerous, but it's usually anonymous freaks writing me email. Lalo is smart. He just posts his I'm going to kill you emails (laughs) on social media. But, you know, I, 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 yeah. I've, I've gotten some really weird stuff. You know, the, the, I, it always sticks in my mind. Somebody wrote to me and said that not only should I be executed because I'm a traitor, but my daughter has to be killed too to stop the bloodline. Mm. And, you know, and my wife is like, do not respond right. to these people. And I wrote him back and corrected his grammar. LAUGHTER <laughs> So, you know, I, I think people are, are interested. And, the, yeah, they may be troubled, you know, but they, they do listen. Um, and it, it pays to entertain people, too. I think we all know that there's, there's that element of, okay. of slaying dragons just with our presence and our art. And I think our sort of putting out a bit of love and acceptance, the audience gives it back.
1: Sonia, you mentioned at the uh, outset of your remarks, uh, you, you mentioned the word invisible. It's something we had talked about previously uh, for the column that I wrote for the Daily Star last week about being invisible, and still today, this sense of invisibility. Uh, and how, does, how are you dealing with that yourself as an artist, as a writer, as, as a lecturer?
2: Well, things have certainly improved. I, I think we're much more visible than uh, mm-hmm. uh, than we were when I was when I when I was coming up, but obviously, uh, like all this stuff about uh, you know the Oscars, mm-hmm. that there were no uh, nobody of color uh, uh, was nominated for an award, blah 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 blah, and uh, and you know Spike Lee says it, and he's absolutely right. You have to get people behind the scenes that make the decisions that greenlight artistic projects, who are people of color, because they will make the uh, the, uh, pro- the proper decisions. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, uh, it's, and it's not just in show business. I was watching a PBS special on astronauts and I looked at all the people in the back room, in the background of the at NASA, and they were all men or they were all white <laughs> men I mean they weren't they were, so it's not just in show business mm-hmm. it's it's also why mm-hmm. aren't there any people of color or even women at NASA you know working the tables whatever they're doing there <laughs> and,
1: and you're right in that yourself
4: right now I, right? I, I was I was tweeting like mad during the Oscar so white the hashtag Oscar so white uh, and um, the white People movie Awards I call them. Uh, period. And uh, and then I tweeted um, for those of you sick of hearing about how the Academy is not diverse and Hollywood's not diverse, here's some facts about publishing. And <laughs> oh. it's almost as bad. I mean, yeah.
3: oh, yeah. But yeah, getting,
4: I mean, it's everywhere. But
1: being inside, Lalo, uh, talk about that for a moment. Being inside uh, Fox doing Bordertown, and uh, you're working with uh, Pixar to, to do uh, Coco. How important is that? Uh, for you, and do you see yourself as carrying Rasa along the way? You're doing it
4: for um, us. I mean, I've I've uh, I, I'm an overnight, you know, success after 20 years of trying oh, to get yeah. into Hollywood. And my my first uh, TV job, uh, my first Hollywood job was writing on the Culture Clash show. Oh. Uh, um, yeah. and, and I mean, I was like, uh, I was a zygote. Um, it was in the in the early '90s. It was the first Latino sketch comedy show on, uh, on TV, as far as I could tell, it was on Fox-owned and operated stations. After that, I started writing movies, and uh, that never got made, but uh, we did get paid. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was just trying to get my comic strip as a show, and so I've been trying to do this for for 20 years. And it finally, 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 the stars aligned and it happened. So, um, you know, being inside, I mean, there, there, there are Latinos inside, but there's so very few that, you know, I go on the Fox lot and I go find, you know, the, the young lady that processes my paycheck. And she's Chicana. I'm like, you're my new best friend. <laughs> uh, but, but then I tell her, I go, do you know my friend Darlene that works at animation? You guys should have lunch. They don't know each other, and I said, you know, we have to build bridges through, yeah. you know, back and forth, and we have to support uh, each other, you know. And um, and yeah, I got I got a bunch of hate uh, f- uh, uh, for even taking the jobs, you know. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Nestle witnessed. had uh, <laughs> yours. Uh, engagement uh, my, last year. I had my own personal uh, uh, stalker slash, uh, you know, uh, protester uh, who hit me up uh, the last time I was in Tucson. Uh, one of my events and uh you know i I mean i i I don't know what these people think uh they're gonna do because obviously i don't listen to people you know i do what i'm gonna do and it's worked out for me so far you know and i and i am and i'm sincere you know i am there trying to get more latinos Mm -hmm. in in uh i we actually got a writer hired uh, a a latino writer hired on the cristela show uh, because fox came to us and said we need to get some diverse writers on the Cristela show, but we don't know any Latino writers. Do you? There's one over there in your far right. Yeah. <laughs> with with within one hour, we had 25 <laughs> names, and we yeah. emailed it to Fox, and they actually hired somebody. You know, and it's like takes it takes that, um, you know, uh, because you know we can be a little nepotistic too, but we just got to get in there.
0: We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to excerpts from the 2016 Tucson Festival of Books. The Arizona Daily stars Ernesto Portillo Jr. moderated this panel entitled Growing Up Latino Coast to Coast and on the Border. Guests included award-winning author Luis Alberto Urrea, Sesame Street's beloved Sonia Manzano, Maria, and Chicano satirist Lalo Alcaraz. This has been part one of a two-part series. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson.